Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jib. Thanks, worship team, for leading us so wonderfully in worship. Uh, I can't introduce myself because Jib's already done that so well. Uh, but my name is Mark, for those of you who, who missed it. And uh, I, I, I did not plant the church alone. Uh, it did sound pretty heroic. Thank you, Jib. <laughs> Twelve years ago, Mark planted the church. Uh, not, true and not true. Uh, Nass and I planted together. She knew we'd plant a church years before I did, and she knew we'd plant a church in Australia years before I did, but finally I caught up to what was so clear to her, um, and she's very patient. And with the kids who are involved, Ella's going to miss being a pastor's kid. She's already mourning that. Um, but kids are very much dragged along, and many of you in this room were there on that first day, and we've seen many things together, and we've worked together serving the Lord and, and loving other people, and we could take all day to share the stories that we've seen. And that's been the, probably the greatest privilege is walking along people and seeing the stories of Jesus in their lives. Um, so uh, at the end, uh, after communion, Nas will probably just love to just say, uh, I just ask that you'd like just put up with us personally. Nas just probably would like to say a few words to, to you. Uh, the sermon will be my words. Um, I get to say lots of words to you. Um, and if you're visiting with us, really just is great to have you here this morning with us. Um, yeah, let's get into it. It's a, a hot day, so we're going to try and beat the sun um, heating up this room. Um, perhaps the most fortunate words any of us or anyone has ever heard Jesus say uh, was as Jesus was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, he said these words. He looked out at, the people, at, at some people and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Um, the truth is that they thought they knew precisely what they were doing. Um, it, they didn't think they were ignorant. They thought they were, they were really sure that they wanted to kill Jesus. They were cussing at Jesus. They were spitting on Jesus. They were hurting Jesus as much as they could. Um, and Jesus looks out at, at that crowd and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And it's not dissimilar today. It's not that people today are running around trying to cuss at Jesus and spit on Jesus. And, but people do stand against Jesus. They stand in opposition to Jesus. Uh, people in, in our society, don't, they're not falling over themselves to submit their lives to Jesus, to fall at the feet of the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, here I am, take me, Jesus. Um, but yet Jesus stands next to them and says, Father, forgive them because they really don't actually know what they're doing. Um, that's incredible words to hear uh, while you're making Jesus an enemy, that he's making you a friend. Um, that's precious. There was another statement, though, that Jesus said, and I, I want to get into that a little bit today, uh, which I think we're just as fortunate to hear. Um, and it comes to us from John, and Jesus is talking to them about being uh, abiding in the vine, and he's saying that God is the vine, uh, we're the branches, and, and God snips off, you know, the branches aren't bearing any fruit, and he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit so that they might bear more fruit. Um, and, he, and there's this whole, idea, this whole parable that he's talking about as he abided in God and, and walked with God and by the word of God, so we are called to abide in him and walk with him and, and by his word. Um, and he invites us to that. And then he like breaks out of the parable and says these crazy words. He says... No longer do I call you servants, for, your, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you, you did not choose me. I chose and appointed you that you should go 
and bear fruit. That's kind of crazy. Now, I don't know how much you value the designation of friend. I'm still learning the English language. I'm not very good at it. And so I use friend for almost everything. If I don't like someone, I won't call them my friend. But, if, but everyone else is a friend to me. And so there's like this broad designation, designation of they're not, they're not trying to hurt me, so they're my friend. Then there's a closer designation of, you know, they, they live in my neighborhood, I know them, they know me, they're my friend. Then there's a closer designation of like, you know, we bump into, we go to church, we're all friends. But then there's like probably the appropriate designation of like people you're walking light your life with that you've kind of chosen to walk with. And that's probably where friend really kind of sits, what a friend really is. And Jesus is not like me. He's not frivolous with the title. He doesn't willy-nilly run around like, you're a friend, you're a friend. He's not Oprah of friendship. <laughs> when he says friend, he means something by it. He doesn't mean everything by it. He means something specific about, by it. And he says, I've chosen you and I've called you friends. And then he tells him exactly why they're called his friends. And so this morning, I just want to look at you know, what does Jesus mean by friend? He doesn't mean mate. And who are Jesus' friends? Um, so what does Jesus mean by friend? In, in this parable, Jesus pits friend against servant or slave, depending on the translation that you're reading. And to us, to our ears, this is quite harsh because, you know, there's a lot of movements, Christian movements today that are standing against slavery. And so we're like, yeah, that's a terrible thing. But in, in Jesus' context... Being a servant is not like the worst thing in the world. Being a servant has, you know, there's some dignity to being a servant. There's, it's with it, it like kind of works in the economy. So someone might um, come and be someone's servant because they have a great debt. So they might kind of contract themselves to someone for seven years. During those seven years, they're kind of paying off their debt. The master would also keep the seven years wage ready. And then when that ended, the, they get the seven years worth of wage given to them. Uh, so can you imagine doing a job that's helping you kind of get your life back up to scratch? And then at the end of those seven years of working, they give you your whole pay package for seven years. And now you're free. And you're free to carry on working if you want, and then you can just get your pay. Or you're free to go do something else. You know, so, so that's kind of what a servant is. They've got rights. They've, and so Jesus is saying, you're not that. But that's still important to hear because Jesus is saying, you're not contracted to me. When you become a Christian, you're not contracted to me. You're not earning a wage from me. You know, it's not like, how much can I get from Jesus? How good? I'm not calling you servants. This isn't like a, you're not in debt, and I'm the master, and we're going to work this out. What I've given you, I give you by the grace of God, your salvation, your reconciliation with God, your right relationship with God is a free gift of God's grace. You cannot earn it. It's, it's, you just receive it from me, but now I call you friends because I'm inviting you to live your life the way that God has called you to. I'm going to show you how to live, and I'm going to call you friends because as I did what, God, what the Father told me to do, you're going to do what I tell you to do. We're going to pass it down, and so you're my friends. We're partnering. We're doing this together. So, um, what does that look like today? Well, what Jesus says, he says this kind of thing. He goes, um, you're my friends if you do what I tell you. <laughs> now, immediately, that sounds manipulative. 
I mean, you know, you can't even just say it's okay because it's Jesus. That's still not okay. Potentially. It sounds wrong. No one should be able to go, you know, how many people, how many people in power get in trouble because they ma- manipulate their subservient ones? <laughs> Imagine I came to someone, one of you, and was like, you're my friend if you, if you do what I want you to do. I mean, you know where, we, where they actually do that? In primary school on the playground. I'll, we'll, I'll be your best friend if you give me your lunch. And that lasts for like lunchtime, and then they move on, right? It sounds a little bit like that. But what Jesus calls them to, and, and that's what changes everything, is when we find out what he's commanding us, then, and the goodness of the command is we realize uh, there's an authenticity that Jesus is calling out rather than a challenge or a, a demand or a manipulation, and we'll get to that in just a second. But what he's saying is, in King's Cross language, is you're going to have to put me above all. You're going you're to come and abide in me. So that's step one of being Jesus' friend is... Come and abide in me, Jesus above all. And we sang those songs this morning. Thank you, worship team, so much. I think if I wasn't preaching, I'm not sure I would have held it together. So who are Jesus' friends, or, or what does it look like to put Jesus above all? So he says, those who do what he commands are his friends. And like I said, this sounds like a servant again. But listen to what he commands in, in verse 12. He says, Love one another as I have loved you. That's the command. Love one another as I've... This is it. What I've come to do is to reconcile you to God and and to call you to myself to walk with me. And as you walk with me, you're going to love as I love. That's the command. That's the... I've received the gospel of Jesus, the good news of God redeeming sinners, the mercy of God and the grace of God. And what do I do as I walk with God? He teaches me to love beyond myself. To put one another above ourselves. In King's Cross language, Jesus above all, others before me. But we can't do this alone, and so Jesus also has to empower us to do this. You know, this is not, again, an earning or a contract, or you prove that you're walking with Jesus by how you love. Jesus has to enable us and change our hearts and Get us, you know, miraculously help us to love people that we wouldn't naturally love and to love in ways that we wouldn't love. Love is costly. There's a sacrifice to love. But when you're loving with Jesus, you can't lose. And the reason you can't lose, because that's those of you who are working the math out, you can lose greatly with love. But the reason you can't lose when you're loving with Jesus is because Jesus is the source of your love. You can't love any more than you are receiving from Jesus. We love others because we have been loved. We love others in ways we know we are loved. We give out what we've been given in from Jesus himself. And so if our love tanks are running dry, maybe we need to go back to Jesus and go, Jesus, can you show me again how you love me? Can you show me what it means that you've laid down your life for me, that you've called me, that you walk with me, that you're near me, that you empower me. Maybe, Jesus, you have to show me ways in which I stand opposed to you. Maybe you have to show me the state of my heart so I can see how sinful I am to know what a great distance and divide there is that you had a cross because of the love you have for me. And that might help me as I get that. That might help me to cross a distance to love someone else. 
So being Jesus' friend means really loving other people sacrificially. And, and this sort of like life is not mutual love. You know, um, Nass and I have done a little bit of marriage counseling over, we've been married 20 years and I've been in ministry for 22 and over that time we've had the privilege. Over here I think there's been 13 or 14 marriages. That's been wonderful. There's been over 100 babies in 12 years. We've joked about some of you needing to go get Netflix. That's a lot of children. But we've done some marriage counseling. And, you know, and it's hard to get people out of a philosophy of love is this kind of walk towards each other 50-50 and going, no, if you, if you both are walking with Jesus, love is you laying your life down for the other person. Not if they lay, lay their life down for you, but because Jesus has laid his life down for you. The, the commitment to them is a commitment to him or from him or through him, enabled by him. Because, you know, they will never deserve it. They will never be able to earn it, and they will walk all over it. Because, like you, they're a person. None of us are perfect. And so, this sacrificially loving comes from the relationship we have with Christ. And so, we love others for Jesus. We love others through Jesus. We love others together with Jesus. And this is what friendship with Jesus looks like, is learning to love who He loves. Being able to walk out tomorrow, leave our homes and go to our places of work or go to our places of school and go, Jesus, show me what you see, who you see, how you see, and and how I might love in this place. And little by little, we learn. We we might even surprise ourselves. We will surprise ourselves. Um, But I just want to land maybe, or or move towards landing, don't get too excited, Uh, (laughs) In three characteristics, so it's like, yeah, okay, that's good. And theologically, I don't think any, I don't think any of us want to try and debate that afterwards. You're welcome to. I'm not, when I'm finished, I'm not your pastor, so I'll send you to one of the elders. <laughs> but, um, but the theology is good. Jesus above all, others before me. Jesus teaches us to love people. There's probably not a lot of arguments. Even as I've spoken today, there's a lot of yeses, agreeings. But practically, what does this look like on the ground? What, what does this feel like? Maybe just what is like some of the tangible bits. In Proverbs 22, it talks about the friends of the king. And, and ultimately, I don't think there can be any king above Jesus, right? He is the king of kings. The Bible tells us that. And so when we look at Proverbs 22 and we look at the friends of the king, we, we kind of go, of, oh, what are they like? What are the characteristics of the friend of the king of kings? And there's three things that the writer of the, Proverbs, uh, the proverb tells us. He says, number one, They love purity of heart. Note that he doesn't write, they are pure of heart. This is not a confession on my way out the door. This is a confession I've made over and over and over. I am not pure of heart. If you cut me open, you will find uh, things that God has to deal with. And if we're all waiting to be perfectly pure of heart, well, you're going to have to wait for the song we sang when we will be on those streets and there will be no sorrow and His work will be complete. But between then and now, the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts to give us a new heart, to make our hearts more and more like Jesus. But we're kind of going from this like, I love sin, maybe that's like a place, to, oh, I no longer love sin, to I hate sin but I still find myself in it. And one day with Jesus, purity of heart. And that's where, you know, hopefully you you get as far across as you can with God. But what this means is 
that God has an effect on your heart and how we treat each other. It means that that's what purity of heart is. It's, it's the way, it ends up being the way that you, that you naturally kind of behave outwardly to other people. So um, those who love pureness of heart struggle to stand and lie to one another. They might still do it, but as they do it, they're like, this is terrible. This is awful. I've just lied to my brother or sister. This does not feel right. There's a, there's a purity of, there's something happening in their heart that's pulling them away um, from that sort of behavior. They feel icky sitting in, promo- sitting in or promoting gossip. They're gutted if they cheat under the table or disadvantage others. None of us are beyond any of this. Their tummy turns if they lust after what doesn't belong to them. Uh, they're most at peace in contentment. They have no appetite uh, to be jealous of someone else's fortune. They don't want to be harsh or impatient or judgmental. Someone who loves pureness of heart doesn't uh, isn't committed to being their authentic self, regardless of other people. Yeah. You know, th- this is kind of the working of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts to make us more like Jesus, and we begin to love pureness of heart. I remember sitting with Steve, one of the last conversations we had before we, we like, okay, he's coming on to eldership, and we sat in our lounge. I don't remember why it was a dark room, but it was a dark room. Charlotte couldn't be there because she was un- unwell, um, and, and Steve was in, and we began talking about something. I remember his eyes tearing up, as, and he, he just said the statement, and it's still kind of ringing echoes in my mind. He went, I just hate the sin so much. And it was that like, oh, whoa, Steve's like moved across. There's this like wrestle for what is right and good and righteous. But we need God's strength. So Jesus' friends are receiving a new heart. And those of us who want to try and confuse God with behavior or confuse each other with behavior, Samuel says, um, God looks at the heart. So, so here's the thing. Behavior can be disconnected to the heart. Have you ever done that? Have you ever acted nicer than you are? <laughs> You're all laughing because that's true. Uh, we, we probably all do it regularly. I'd love to see you in a job interview. I probably wouldn't recognize most of you. Who is this person? Wow, there, you know, and you wouldn't recognize me. Anyway, behavior doesn't change our heart. But as God changes our heart, it does get to behavior. You can't have a changed heart that doesn't end up changing your behavior. And Samuel says God looks at the heart. So don't spend, you know, G.K. Smith says, J.K. Smith, sorry, he does say we have to kind of train our heart, speak our heart. So, so have like rhythms and rituals and habits that help your heart to grow in the right direction. And, and that's true. Pursue good things. Was it Peter who said, you know, whatever's good and pleasant and right, you know, think about this. That's right. We need to like be gardeners who are always tending the garden of our hearts. But at the end of the day, we need to pray desperately for God to do His good work upon our hearts that we might see uh, love overflow. It says, Titus writes, that Jesus gave Himself up to purify for Himself a people. That's what He's busy doing with us. And in Acts, Luke writes that God purifies our hearts through faith. So it's God's work that he's doing in us. I really, I'm just saying that because I don't want you to like judge yourself harshly. Like, well, I don't really have like purity of heart. I'm not sure how. Well, it's a, this is the work that God is doing in your life. 
So it's okay. And when you see something like, wow, God, I, I'm really impatient with, with, can you please work upon my heart and teach me how to love with patience in that environment? So that when you see that overflow, you might be able to glorify God and say, God, you are amazing. Thank you for what you have done. Number two, Proverbs, it says they are gracious in speaking. And Paul understands what, he, they, he, what the proverb meant there. And remember that Paul's Bible is the Old Testament. And Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Gracious speech has certain qualities. And I'll preempt this again with purity of heart that I'm on a journey. If you met me 22 years ago when, when pastoring began, I've said to many people, and Nas can back this up, I think I was the most ungracious person I've met. I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who was less gracious than I was 22 years ago. So I'm not standing here as an expert, just standing here as someone who knows that God can change us. And I'm still learning, and, and we can learn together. Got lots to learn. But this gracious speech has certain qualities. Paul, Paul, this word that Paul uses, this Greek word, uh, is what was used for like worthless vegetables and animals that were just not fit for any purpose. And he says, let no corrupting talk, let no worthless words that are not fit for any purpose come out of your mouth. Confession, again, this week, worthless words would have come out my mouth that were no good, no fit for use. Where's a great environment? Well, I have four children. There are moments where they experience where if they spoke like that to their sibling, they would get in trouble. What a hypocrite. What a man who needs the grace of God, who needs the work of God. God, help me to be gracious in speech that useless vegetables and worthless words don't fall out of my mouth that are useless. But the word that Paul talks here, that what should become, he says, what's good for edification, what's building up. And it was used for building a house, for building a temple. And, and so what Paul is saying is, here is, when you speak to someone, speak in a way that builds a, a dwelling place where God can live. Create an environment for them to flourish with God. Is what you're saying going to help them in their journey with Jesus? If it's not, don't say it. If it is, go ahead. But it's not just the what, it's also the how. I remember someone had a prophetic word that they wanted to share at King's Cross. And um, during worship they shared it, and then we didn't let them share it. And afterwards they really struggled and, and greatly, I mean, I'm so great, grateful that they came. They came to, and went, how come you didn't let me share that word? And this was a difficult thing to say, but when I, really do feel that, I really do feel that probably what you had to share was from God. But how you wanted to share it sounded so condemning and would have really potentially felt heavy. And the message was, God loves you. But it was a message like this. God loves you. Why are you so stupid? Can't you get it? You got the message right, but you also have to get the how right. How would God want people to know that, that he loves them? And, and in our gracious speech, how do we deliver it in a way that builds people up and I think I've probably got this more wrong in my life than right. The, the good thing about getting that wrong so much is you, you learn more and more what to avoid. I can tell you if, you if you like. I have about 701 avoidable things. Number two, it serves a need. There's a moment and a purpose. It's not getting something off your chest. It serves a need for them. 
Speech has to have timing. Does the person know their need? Are they in a space to acknowledge their need? Is this the right occasion for them? Number four, the last one, it gives grace to the hearers. The receiver, they must experience the grace of God, the kindness of God, the blessing of God. Even if you're saying the hardest thing, they must see the goodness of God in the delivery of, of, what, of the words. They must know that. Even if you're calling them to repent, to turn away from sin, they must know that they're turning towards a good and gracious and loving and kind God. And so friends of Jesus love purity of heart, are gracious in speech, and the final one says, uh, in the Proverbs says, that they are skillful in the work. And in the Proverbs, the, the skillful of the work definitely is talking about uh, their occupation as well, that they're good at what they do, and we should seek as Christians to be good at what we do. It, it's terrible that, at least in the Western world, uh, Christians have a reputation of kind of cutting corners. It's good enough, you know, in the workplace. We really, as Christians, should strive to do whatever we do. Um, it, it says of Jesus, he did all things well. We can't do all things well, but the things that we're called to do, we should do as well as we can. As Christian, but that's but what it, particularly what we should get skillful at the work that we should that Jesus has called us to do is the work of loving one another. We should become particularly skillful at loving one another, and the skillfulness means there's a responsiveness. It means you know, and, and I don't want to take time, but there's people in this room who are so ridiculously good at seeing a need and responding to that need in incredibly practical ways. If I said to you, who are the most loving people in this room? Almost everyone who's part of King's Cross would say the first, the first five people would probably be exactly the same. Because we've all seen, man, when there is a response needed, emergency, they don't even think. Their, in, their instinct is step in and help out. Respond in love. Not to say that any of us, you know, I'm at the back of that line, any of us who, are, who respond slowly are not loving. It's not to say that. It's just to say that when we see a need in our hearts, there's a desire to ask God, how might I love in this situation? What does that look like from me, Lord? And so they're skillful in their work. Jesus' friends are increasingly becoming pure of heart, gracious in speech, and ready to love others. Ready to love others well. Skillful in their work. In King's Cross language, being a friend of Jesus looks like Jesus above all and others before me. We say this a lot. We say this every single Sunday. We say this as a benediction every Sunday. As we leave this place, let's put Jesus above all and others before ourselves. But that's true of all the friends of Jesus. They are putting Jesus above all and they are learning to put others above themselves. It's a little bit like the Cottesloe waves. Sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we do it bad, and sometimes we do it well. But increasingly, hopefully, the tide of love is growing in our hearts as we walk with Jesus. And all of this we do only, it's only possible by leaning into God's grace. We, we cannot do this in our own strength. Don't condemn one another. Don't condemn yourself. We lean into God's grace wherever we see a need. Jesus, I can see some spaces in my heart where I could be a better friend to you. 
I spent last year trying to work out what does it mean to be a friend to Jesus. I got to the end of the year, Haley said, hey, did you figure it out? I went, no, I don't think I did. I think I'm nowhere closer. And from that moment, I feel like God opened up some scriptures and went, this is exactly what it looks like. You're looking for the wrong thing. Paul said, you know, the, Paul, Paul summarized the, the one commandment of God. Jesus summarized it down to two things. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Paul summarized it for the Galatians in one thing. He said, basically, if you love God, love one another. The evidence of God's work in our hearts is displayed by the overflow of love towards the people that He loves. And He loves a lot of people. I found out this week that 24% of the world lives in GMT plus 8. If you never leave our time zone, you can try and love a quarter of the whole world. I don't start there. Start where you're at today and grow out of that. Grow beyond that and let God show us. So I'm going to call us to a response. And I know in Australia, you don't ask people to respond physically too much. But I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to appeal to us in Jesus today rather than in um, our passport or our culture and go beyond ourselves. Uh, no pressure, no burden. You don't have to. What I promise you is standing up is not going to uh, change your life. But it's just an invitation. And so uh, in a minute, Adam's going to play a song. And basically, I'm inviting you to respond to one of the two wonderful words that Jesus said. Maybe today you came curious about Jesus and you, you don't know where you stand with Jesus yet. But, you, but, but today, you're ready to receive Him. You, you go, I, actually, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be a friend of Jesus. I want to receive the grace of God through Jesus. I want to submit my life to Jesus. Then hear over you, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ and stand. Not now, in a, in a second. If you've done that, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to just be a Christian waiting to die. I, I want to be a friend of Jesus. I want to walk with Him. I want to learn to love like Jesus. I want to learn how to sacri sacrificially give like Jesus. I, I want to have a relationship with Him where He is empowering me to, to do His work in this world. Then I invite you to stand. In this, you know, no longer do I call you slaves. You, you're not, you, we're not contracted to something. I call you friends. Let, let's do this together. And I'm going to invite you to stand. But, but listen to Matt Redman's words. Listen to what he's saying. And if you feel something in your heart, don't stand because it's the right theology. Stand because the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart. Okay? And I'm, not, I'm, I'm genuinely not going to be looking around. I can't promise no one else will be. Probably there will be a lot of other people looking around. Uh, but do this for you. And then I'm going to pray uh, for us. We're going to take communion together out of this. Um, but not just yet. All right? So you got it? Adam, will you, will you hit it? And maybe just close your eyes and ask God to speak to your heart.